Good morning. As some of you know, I have a tendency to get things stuck in my head, like a song that loops over and over again. And recently, when Ryan asked me to bring the message for today, my mind was stuck on Peter. As we've studied the Gospels of Luke and Mark in our Bible study for the last two years, I've become fascinated by the personality and character of Peter. If we trace him in the New Testament, he is present at all the major milestones of Jesus' ministry. We see many different sides of him, from his brashness and impulsiveness to his supernatural revelation that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, to his triple denial of Jesus after his arrest. We know all the stories of Peter, but he got stuck in my mind because of his very humanness. I can identify with Peter because over and over again, this man who became the rock upon which the church was built, who preached the first Christian sermon after the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, who died a martyr in Rome, upside down on a cross, because he did not believe that he deserved to die in the same manner as Christ. This man, who had moments of pure glory as he followed Christ, stumbled over and over again. And I stumble daily. I am like Peter. I have flashes of spiritual insight and holiness. And then I find myself sliding back into my sinful nature. So I decided today I would focus on those moments when Peter failed and try to find a common thread to analyze why. The first example of Peter's failure happened immediately after his recognition that Jesus was the Messiah. Matthew tells us in chapter 16 that Jesus had left his ministry and retreated to Gentile territory in order to teach his disciples about what was to come. He was on his way to Jerusalem and the cross, and he needed to prepare them. Most importantly, he needed to know if he had achieved anything with his ministry. Had anyone discovered who he really was? The biblical scholar and author William Barclay says, If he had lived and taught and moved amongst men, and no one had glimpsed God in him, then all his work had gone for nothing. There was only one way he could leave a message with men, and that was to write it on some man's heart. So he asked in Matthew 16, 13-17, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. 
What a mountaintop moment for Peter. He had recognized the divinity of Christ, and Christ himself had confirmed it as a revelation from God. Let me take a tangent here for just a moment. There's a message here for all of us. First, our discovery of Jesus Christ must be a personal discovery. Jesus didn't want to know what other people said about him. He asked, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Our knowledge of Jesus must never be secondhand. We might know every detail about him, about his life and his ministry, but we must have an internal experience of Jesus Christ, one that God makes possible through the Holy Spirit. William Barclay says, Christianity never consists in knowing about Jesus. It always consists in knowing Jesus. Jesus didn't ask Peter alone. He asked every one of us, You, who do you say I am? The second thing we need to notice from this, our recognition of the divinity of Jesus is a revelation from God. For some people it may come in a flash or a vision as it did for Peter in this scene. For others, like me, it may develop over time a gradual study of the Bible, an awareness of who God is, and an acceptance of his divinity. In any case, it is the most important moment of our lives. But the very next moment is when Peter stumbles. Jesus began to teach them that he must go to Jerusalem and die on the cross and rise again after three days. Mark 8:32 says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter had just recognized the divinity of Jesus, and now he's correcting him? He's telling him how to be a Messiah? In his defense, Peter's idea of the Messiah was based on Jewish tradition. The Messiah would be a great military leader who would overthrow Rome and reestablish Israel as the greatest nation in the world. He could not conceive of a suffering Messiah would die on the cross. So let's analyze. What caused Peter to stumble here? He loved Jesus. He recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. But he believed in his own power. And like most men, he felt the need to fix things. He thought he knew more than God. Do we ever try to tell God what to do? If so, we need to pay close attention to Jesus' response to Peter here. He said, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Satan means the adversary. And Satan had already tried to tempt Jesus into taking a shortcut to power when he tested him in the wilderness. Now Peter was doing the same thing, trying to change the mission for Jesus. The next time we see Peter fail happened just six days later. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up a high mountain 
where he was transfigured before them and talked with Elijah and Moses. It was another moment of supernatural revelation of God's power and glory and radiance shining through Jesus Christ. And we are told in Mark 9 that Peter says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So could we say here that his failure was talking too much? Talking when he shouldn't? If so, I can identify with Peter. When I'm uncertain, uncomfortable, or just in a strange situation, I cannot seem to keep quiet. And I end up saying the most inane, inappropriate things. It's terribly embarrassing. Some of you have experienced that with me, especially in a social setting. Mark 9-7 tells us that this time God himself reprimanded Peter. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. That listen to him has an exclamation mark after it. God wants us all to stop talking and listen. But if we dig a little deeper, looking for a common thread here, maybe we could go so far as to say, Peter's failure here is the same as in the first example. He's trying to take charge, to be in control, to fix things. The third example of a failure for Peter is what most of us remember about Peter and what Peter could not forget. After the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples went to the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. And there Jesus told the disciples they would all fall away. They would scatter like sheep without a shepherd. And Peter said, even if all fall away, I will not. Another example of that bold confidence in his own ability to handle any situation or any problem. Jesus' response was a prediction that that very night Peter would disown him three times. Even though all the other disciples fled from the garden when Jesus was arrested, Peter bravely followed to the house of the high priest where he was being tried. But when he was recognized by servants in the courtyard, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, just as Jesus told him he would. Richard Bodini, pastor of Christian Reformed Church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, said, Peter couldn't even say his master's name when he denied him. Mark 14.72 says that when he had realized what he had done, Peter broke down and wept. Can't you imagine his despair? There is no worse feeling in the world than knowing that we have disappointed God. Has sin ever brought you to tears? Do you see a pattern emerging here? In each situation, 
Peter tried to take control, to rely on his own power. But his denial changed everything. He realized he was powerless. His bold confidence in his swagger, because that's how I visualize him, as a large, arrogant, swaggering man. They were gone. So where does Peter go? He ran away. We know that all the disciples went into hiding. They were not there at Jesus' trial, when he was flogged and mocked, when he was forced to carry his cross to Golgotha. They were not there when he was crucified. The only exception was John, who brought Mary to the feet of Jesus. The next time we hear the name of Peter is on Sunday morning after the Friday crucifixion, when the angel in the tomb, who has just told the women that Jesus is not there, that he has risen, goes on to say in Mark 16, 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Imagine how Peter felt when he heard that message that included him by name. He ran to the tomb to see him for himself that it was empty. He had to know that Jesus was truly risen from the dead because he needed to be forgiven. He needed to be healed. I had never paid attention to those words, and Peter, until our study of Mark. Never thought about why he was named specifically. William Barclay says, How that message must have cheered Peter's heart when he received it. He must have been tortured with the memory of his disloyalty, and suddenly there came a special message just for him. Jesus characteristically thought not of the wrong Peter had done him, but of the remorse that he was undergoing. This special message to Peter from the angel was an invitation to grace, to forgiveness, to restoration. Peter and the other disciples were invited to meet the resurrected Jesus in Galilee, so they went and waited there. Evidently, they got tired of waiting, so they went fishing and caught nothing, until a voice from the shore told them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. It was a familiar situation and a familiar voice. When Peter realized it was Jesus, he jumped out of the boat and went to him as fast as he could. But did you notice, when he got there, he didn't say anything. The others came ashore with a net full of fish. They all sat down and ate breakfast, and nobody spoke. Have you ever had to apologize to someone you wronged? It's really difficult. Once when I was in elementary school, I saw a child on the bus drop a coin, a quarter, and it rolled back to my seat. And I picked it up, and I really wanted that quarter. I put it in my pocket and tried to look innocent. When we got to my house, the bus driver got off with me and went in to talk to my mother. 
so evidently I didn't look as innocent as I had hoped. So my mother drove me back to the house of that child and made me go up to the door by myself and return the quarter and apologize. And that was the hardest thing I ever had to say. Just one word is all I could get out. I handed her the quarter and said sorry, and then I turned and ran. So Peter couldn't talk to Jesus. He had gone through the worst week of his life. He had made the biggest blunder possible. Now he was face to face with Jesus, the one he had denied and rejected. And there were no words for what he felt. So Jesus reached out to him. For that part of the story, we go to the last of the scripture. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Three times Jesus made Peter respond. What was the purpose of asking the question three times? As Peter pointed out, Jesus knew the answer before he asked. He wasn't asking to assure himself of Peter's love. William Barclay says he was giving Peter three opportunities to declare his love for Jesus and three opportunities to experience forgiveness for the three times he denied knowing his Lord. He was extending grace to Peter, freeing Peter from the guilt and sorrow he was living under. But there was more to it than just grace. Did you notice that Jesus was presenting Peter with an if-then proposition? Loving Jesus brings consequences. If Peter loves Jesus, then Peter needs to feed his sheep. He was making it clear that Peter had a mission to carry out, to become the caretaker of the church, to keep the gospel alive, and provide spiritual nourishment for believers. He was recommissioning Peter, calling him again for pastoral mission. So what can we learn from Peter's story? First, the very humanness of Peter gives me comfort. Although he experienced moments of divine revelation and glory, Peter's human nature, his overconfidence in his own power, caused him to sin. I have the same problem, but I can deal with it because Peter's story did not end there. Jesus knew Peter's heart, knew he was suffering, and came to him. 
Jesus met Peter to offer grace and forgiveness and love and peace, just like he does for me. Second, once I acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as my Redeemer and my Savior, he asked me the same question he asked Peter. Do you love me? If I love him, then he expects me to feed his sheep, take care of his lambs. When I was young, I always thought that meant just the physical needs to feed people. But Jesus meant more than that. He meant bringing people into the kingdom of God, taking care of their spirits, feeding them with the word, teaching them how to live together in loving communities of faith. He meant serving one another. There are many different ways to serve God. Whatever your gift, God can use it to further his kingdom. Peter's gift was leadership. He went on to become the rock that Jesus expected him to be for the church. He grew in wisdom and faith and commitment. But it was a process. I'm sure he wasn't perfect. I know that he had still things to learn. Because in Acts we hear that he, he had to learn about allowing Gentiles into the church. I'm also a work in progress. I learn something new about myself and my relationship with God every day. But because I love God, I must serve him. I recently read an article by Hannah Brencher, who is a writer, a speaker, and an online educator. The article was entitled, The Four-Word Prayer That Could Change Everything in Your Life. She said that when she gets fearful, she says a tiny prayer called a breath prayer. Short, gritty prayers that get right to the point. She says breath prayers help me to bridge the gap between praying sometimes and praying continually. Her breath prayer for when she's afraid is simple. Reduce me to love. She says, the prayer is not asking that I'll be propelled into something bigger for the world. The prayer is reduce, make me smaller, help me get out of my own way. Help me to just be love in all that I do and say and think. That struck me as so appropriate for our story of Peter. In our scripture today, Jesus doesn't talk about the trial, the crucifixion, or Peter's denial. He talks about love. It all comes down to love. If Peter loves him, Peter should feed his lambs, take care of his sheep. If we love him, we should do the same. Father, reduce me to love. Amen.